When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. A skinwalker in New Mexico. A dangerous phantom on the highway. Something angry watching people who sleep on the side of the road. Today's episode features an assortment of terrifying and allegedly true stories for you to enjoy and have nightmares to. Remember, if you have a scary story and you want to hear it narrated on this show, send it to me at darkstories.org. You can also find more scary podcasts about folklore monsters and evil organizations that study dangerous entities at eeriecast.com. Now, let's begin. The Ghost on I-4 From TE-74 This happened to me about 23 years ago in Plant City, Florida. I was going through a rough time as I'd broken up with my fiancé for cheating on me, and I had moved in with my sister, her husband, and their three kids. I got a dishwashing job at a restaurant, and I moved up quickly to midday prep and dishwasher. I was making good money, about 13 bucks an hour, which was great money for that time. Since my bad breakup with my ex-fiancé, I decided that I wanted an entry-level sports car, so I went to a local Mitsubishi dealer and got a 1993 3000 GT with low miles. This was a bit before the Fast and Furious, but needless to say, I'd put a couple of thousand dollars into the wheels, speaker system, and engine. I could easily do 130 miles per hour quickly when I needed to. I managed to make a few friends at work, and we'd pile into my 3000 GT, going to the local party district to go clubbing. It was a Friday night at about 12.30am. We all headed to a local party district to club called The Machine. We got to the club around 1am. I had a few crown and cokes. After about an hour and a half of me striking out, trying to talk up a few women, I told the guys I was bored and a little tired. So I was going home. Oddly enough, all four co-workers had no problem with me leaving, so I asked the bartender for a Red Bull and a cup of Fountain Coke. I quickly downed them both, then walked over to my 3000 GT in the parking tower. Fully awake now, I settled into my leather racing front bucket seat, turned the key, and my engine gurgled through the large racing dual exhaust system. I turned on my lights, shoved my stick shift into reverse, and soon I was blasting nine-inch nails while sitting at a red light before the interstate. Then an SUV with three very attractive girls pulled up next to me. This got my attention. The brunette, who was probably a Latina and looked like a model, blew me a kiss and handed me her phone number through our open windows on a piece of a napkin. Maybe the night wasn't a waste after all, I thought. 
I quickly pulled over at a McDonald's and called the number on the napkin. The phone rang for about six times and I almost hung up, but a female answered laughing and giggling finally. That was quick, she said. I laughed and agreed. I told her my name and she gave me hers, which was Zelda. We talked about 15 minutes. She said to call her back later around noon. I was pretty happy now as I hung up the phone and decided the night went pretty well. I threw my phone into the bucket seat beside me, and I turned up my system to keep me focused while driving. Quickly, I pulled onto the interstate and shifted the clutch into fifth gear. I was now cruising at about 85 miles per hour. My sister's place was about an hour's drive from the club, so I usually drove fast to get home, because I don't like coming home too late. I tended to wake up the kids and tee off my sister and her husband. Looking down at my watch, it read 3.10am. I quickly looked back up at the interstate, trying to stay more focused. There were few cars on the interstate at this time, and that was fine by me as I could drive fast without having to worry about crashing into another car. Finally, I got to my favorite song on the CD and began drumming on the steering wheel. I looked back out onto the interstate and noticed the light poles became more spread out and the woods were blurring by on both sides of the car. For reasons I still can't explain, my CD player skipped, causing my attention to focus on the car deck briefly and then back up as I drove under an overpass. My eyes widened with terror as my eyes fell on this disheveled-looking old man standing in the middle of the interstate, staring at me. Now, you should understand I was driving at 85 miles per hour, and although I had sport car quality brakes, there was no way I could have stopped before hitting him. I locked up my brakes and my tires squealed ear-piercingly loud. Thick white smoke began to encircle my car. My hands were locked on the steering wheel, shaking. My eyes were locked on the spot where the old man had been and my breathing was out of control. I peeled myself out of my car and I began to look for the old man with my flashlight. I was sure that I'd hit him, that I'd killed this man. My mind was racing, my body still shivering. I continued to search for him, but I realized I'd better pull my car under the overpass so I didn't cause another accident. After a few more minutes of searching the area and the overpass itself, something dawned on me. I hadn't heard any smashing metal sounds. I hadn't seen any broken glass from my car. Certainly hitting someone going that fast, my car would be a wreck. In my panic, I'd forgotten all about actually checking my car. I jogged fast back over to the front of my 3000 GT and began surveying the front of the car. Nothing. No blood, no damage. Just nothing. It was now 3.33am as I checked my watch. An odd thing I noticed as well was that during all this time no other vehicles passed my way either from my side or the other side of the interstate. I got back into my car, now wondering what had just happened. Did I see a road apparition? Since there was no blood or damage to my car, I didn't call the highway troopers as I didn't want to answer a bunch of questions about making a prank call. I shut my door, turned the key, and prepared to get back on the road again. As I began to pull out of the overpass, my headlights shone on the apparition again. It was him. He had this sad, lost look in his eyes. He was wearing a bucket hat, 
a white polo shirt, brown pants, and black slip-on shoes. He was waving at me, as if to say, It's okay. Come on. It's safe to go out on the interstate. I was so scared that my foot instinctively began to press on the gas from sheer horror. However, before I floored it, I gazed quickly out of my driver's side mirror and stomped hard on the brakes. No sooner had I stopped when all of a sudden, almost out of nowhere, a speeding 18-wheeler flew by me and laid down on the loud truck horn as he did. My heart stopped, and I was frozen in place with terror. The 18-wheeler's red taillights faded fast over the hill in front of me. I got the courage to look back across the interstate overpass, searching for that old man. There was nothing now. Just an overpass, interstate pole light, and my car. I gathered my courage together and got back on the interstate safely, driving home and actually obeying the speed limit this time. It was 4.30am when I pulled into the driveway at my sister's. It was too late to go inside now as I would definitely wake up the house, so I just turned everything off in my car, curled up, and went to sleep right there. The next thing I woke to was my sister knocking on my window telling me to pull my car out so her husband can get out. I groggily did, then walked like a zombie back into the house. She made some coffee and asked why I got back so late. I told her that she probably wouldn't believe me. She gave me the look, so I told her everything. My sister was a nurse in the local hospital ER, and she worked six nights on, three days off, 12-hour shifts. As I told her my story, she began to get whiter in her face, drinking less of her coffee. She waited until I finished and told me something chilling. A week ago, on her last night before her three days off, the paramedics brought in an elderly man suffering from Alzheimer's. He had wandered from his home that night and got hit by a car on the interstate. She said the paramedics told her that they picked him up at a certain mile marker. He got hit under overpass 333 on the interstate. That was the exact overpass that I'd seen the ghost at, and my watch had also read 3.33 a.m. She said he was pretty smashed up and died within a few hours. Just before he died, though, she said the oddest thing. She went back into his room to check on him, and he was awake. He had the saddest eyes, and he was waving at her to come over to him, she thought. But when she got there, his eyes were closed again, and he was unconscious. We both grabbed each other's hands and prayed at that moment. Shortly thereafter, I paid my car off, traded it in, and got an F-150. I met my future wife a few weeks later, and the rest is history, as they say. Looking back, though, had I not looked out my mirror before I jutted out onto the interstate that dark, lonely morning, I wonder if I would have been the next one, beckoning sadly to unsuspecting drivers, luring them to their doom under that overpass. This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. Do you believe in monsters? And given the chance, would you be brave enough to track one down on your own? In June's Journey, people are the true monsters, and you can live the story yourself rather than sitting back and listening to one. June's Journey is a hidden object game with a thrilling murder mystery set in the Roaring Twenties. 
You play as June on the hunt for your sister's murderer. Discover clues through exciting hidden object scenes with beautiful and atmospheric illustrations and music. Victory brings you closer to new plot points and suspenseful answers. When not hunting for clues, you can customize your own luxurious estate island with gardens, buildings, and decor. Or chat and play with or against other players too in the Detective Club, where you could even put your skills to the test in the Detective League. June's journey is both relaxing and fun to play. With my busy schedule, I find it's the perfect game to pick up and play whenever I've got a free moment. It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. New Mexico Skinwalker from C.Philly100 Some friends and I decided to go check out some hot springs after a long day of skiing in Taos, New Mexico. I've never been able to find these particular dispersed hot springs on my own before, but my buddy who used to live out there knew the way, so we just followed him. We turned off the highway onto a dirt road, with juniper bushes and pinyon pine on either side. We took a turn past what looked to be an old junkyard, then down into the river valley. We crossed a bridge over the Rio Grande, parked, and hiked out to the Black Rock Hot Springs. When we first got down to the clothing optional springs, right on the river there were some people already there, so we had to wait a little while. There were also a couple of other dogs off leashes besides my own. This is important because one of the other dogs was acting aggressively toward my dog, Keenan, so I kept him on a leash to be sure that I could intervene in case the other dog decided to attack. While we were waiting, my friend Brad walked off to explore the area a bit. He found a vapor cave up above the springs. When he came back, he told us he thought he saw a black cat jumping out of the cave and scampering off into the bush. I thought that was a bit odd, as we were, after all, quite a ways from any kind of town. Afterwards, the main group of people in the hot spring left, so my group got in but there were still three other people in the hot springs and not enough room for me yet, so I decided to go take a look in that cave. I climbed down into the mouth of the cave, feeling the moist sulfuric vapors like a putrid breath of warm air on my face. The cave was cramped and damp, so I kept slipping and sliding as I descended deeper down into the cave. Try as I might, Keenan had refused to enter the cave, but I could still hear him crying back at the entrance. I was probably only about 30 to 40 yards deep when I came to a fork in the cave, leading to what looked to be an old mine shaft to the left, reinforced on both sides with timber. I was starting to feel a bit creeped out, and I didn't want to keep Keenan waiting. Plus, I wanted to get into the hot springs, so I started making my way back out of the creepy cave, hitting my head a couple of times in the process, I finally made it out and Keenan was so relieved to see me that he growled at the other more aggressive dog when it approached us. I gave him a pat on the head, reattached his leash to his harness, tied it around a rock a few feet from the hot spring, took off my shirt and sweats, and got in with my boxers on. Another couple joined us and we sat around for a while, talking and getting to know each other. After a bit, one of our girlfriends got out and got dressed. 
A few moments later, she and another girl from our group looked up and exclaimed loudly that Keenan had just gone into the vapor cave. Quickly, I checked, and Keenan was still securely tied to the rock right where I'd left him, although the girls couldn't see that from where they were. However, they insisted that they had just seen a large black dog going into the cave. Keenan is black and only about six months old, but already a good 40 to 50 pounds, as he's mixed with German Shepherd and Blue Healer. I asked Brad what color that cat was again, and he stated again it was black. We figured that it was just the same cat from before, and we put it to bed. A couple of our other friends got out, and I guess they left without saying goodbye. A short while later, it was getting dark, so Brad and I decided to get out and start making our way back to the cars. We got dressed and started on our way back up and out of the rocky canyon. I had Keenan off his leash now, as it's safer having him off while hiking through that kind of terrain. Just then, a large black crow flew out right in front of us, cawing loudly and almost flying right into us. We laughed nervously, having allowed ourselves to get spooked so easily. It was only about a quarter mile back to the car, so we were able to make it back rather quickly, loading Keenan up into the back of my Lexus. I would be driving, so I turned the car around, crossed the bridge, and headed back up and out of the canyon. There's an electronic map on the dashboard of the Lexus, which displayed the route which we'd come from, but we still somehow managed to get ourselves turned around. I joked that it wouldn't be a true road trip without at least one wrong turn, but Brad didn't respond. He was trying to pull up directions on his phone. Of course, there was no service here, and so we paused to examine the map. Keenan started growling in the back seat, and to my complete and utter horror, I looked up and I saw it. A dark humanoid creature stepping out of the shadows and into the light cast by the brights of my car. It had no visible features that I could tell, but its arms and legs just didn't seem right. The legs appeared to extend backward, almost like a dog's leg, with the elongated heel bone extending back to the knee and its arms hung low, too low, with either hand possessing extra-long fingers and scaly black claws. Keenan was now barking ferociously, standing on the center console and attempting to get as close to the windshield as possible. I threw the car into reverse and went barreling down the road. I whipped it around at a fork in the road and cranked the transmission into drive. It seemed like we hit every pothole and or rock in the road trying to evade this thing, which I could now see in the rearview mirror. It was quickly catching up to us. Out of nowhere, a coyote ran out into the road in front of us. I slammed on the brakes, bringing the car to a skidding halt. Quickly, I looked back into the rearview, but there was nothing there. No dark humanoid creature, no coyote, nothing. I hit the gas, and we eventually made it out of the valley, back out onto the main road. It was pitch black, and the visibility was poor, which made it difficult to drive through the darkened desert landscape. About 30 minutes later, we finally pulled into the muddy parking lot of our Airbnb just outside of town. We hurried inside, slamming the door shut behind us. We could not believe what had just happened. Just then, Keenan started pacing around the living room, hackles up, 
and growling and barking at the door. Then came a tap-tap-tapping. Something was tapping at the door. I looked through the peephole, but there was nothing there. Keenan ran into the kitchen, yelping and pawing at the curtains. Slowly, not wanting to actually see what was on the other side, I walked into the kitchen. I extended a hand to pull back the curtain, and Keenan leapt into the air, grabbing my hand with his mouth, keeping me from opening the curtains completely. I tried to calm him down, but there was that sound again, a tap, tap, tapping. Brad grabbed a fire poker from the fireplace and threw back the curtains. Once again, there was nothing there. Suddenly, we heard a pounding sound on the roof of the house. Then there was what sounded like horses' hooves pounding on the adobe roof, even causing little clouds of dust to come drifting down from the ceiling. I looked up through the skylight, and there it was. That thing looking down at me. Its eyes were black as coal, blacker than that, blacker than oil or soot, or anything. Blacker than black and darker than the night itself. They almost looked like spider's eyes when you see them in the light. Its face looked like that of a human, only it didn't have a nose, and there was only a thin slit where the mouth should have been. It curled its top lip back, revealing a row of razor-sharp teeth. We could hear it hiss, even through the glass skylight. I seriously think I almost soiled myself right then and there, when, to my immediate relief, we saw headlights coming down the drive. It was our friends who had left the hot springs earlier to apparently go out for dinner. When I looked back up at the ceiling, the thing was no longer there. Our friends came in laughing and carrying on until they saw the petrified looks on all of our faces. We explained the situation as best we could. But of course, they didn't believe us. Until we heard it again, the tap, tap, tapping. Throughout the rest of the night, it was the same thing over and over again. Keenan running around the house barking and growling, and that infernal tapping sound never stopped, for hours on end until we finally must have passed out from sheer and utter exhaustion. In the morning, we cautiously went outside. To our shock and amazement, there were fresh tracks everywhere. You could see all kinds of different tracks in the fresh mud, from bifurcated hooves to large bird tracks, while others appeared to be more canine in nature, although a few of them didn't have the claw marks associated with canines and looked to be more like cat tracks than anything. We packed up the cars as quickly as possible and got the heck out of there. I don't know about my friends, but I know I won't be going back down there for some hot springs action anytime soon. Not a visual or auditory hallucination. From Anonymous LDKV P96. When I was six or seven years old, I was with a 16-year-old neighbor slash babysitter. We were sleeping in my father's trailer in the living room, which had a bar dividing it from the kitchen and blocking most of the kitchen from view. She was on the couch, and I was on the floor near the TV, even farther from the kitchen. There was no one else with us, and the dog was sleeping between she and I on the floor. I woke up for an unknown reason, 
jolting from a dreamless sleep with a racing heart. I noticed it was around 2 a.m., a bright moonlit night, which caused it to look like dusk before the sun comes up. A few seconds passed by as I tried to find a clock to see the time, but before I could, I heard a bone-chilling laugh, which was on a loop of sorts. Each time I heard a laugh, that same laugh would repeat three times, but it would go on for different random intervals of extending laughter. I don't think it was a person's voice, either. It was extremely mechanical in tone, high-pitched, but flat-sounding. It was almost a mechanical and distorted version of my own mother's voice, mixed with high-pitched, flat, identical laughing. Like a broken toy which had been machine-washed, so its voice box was damaged. Sometimes it would stop, but it would start again in repetitive intervals of three, but at differently spaced out times. I could hear it directly coming from the kitchen before the pitch black hallway, specifically in the white plastic kitchen table chair my dad often sat in. I was in such fear and shock that I leapt up on top of the babysitter, Kay. My knee rammed into her in the process by accident and my struggle to avoid looking into the kitchen. She woke up in pain, but she wasn't angry, just sleepy. With an ouch, she then tried to soothe me and told me to go back to sleep. Quickly, I tried to tell her in a panicked whisper that I'd heard a sound in the kitchen that didn't seem normal. All of a sudden, she went from confused to quiet. Her face and body went tense and her eyes widened. We both heard the next interval of laughter together. I asked if she heard that, and she said yes. She hugged me tightly as I clung to her, burying my face to avoid looking into the kitchen. I looked at her, hysterical, telling her that I'm afraid. She said, I know, I know, I'm afraid too. I think both of us were on the verge of crying. She tried to get up and tell me she was going to see if any friends were outside, trying to prank us. I was crying then, in a hushed way telling her not to leave me. I was so attached to her that she had to calmly and quickly pull me away. She told me to stay there as she got up, then went out the front door. That sound kept persisting. She looked in the kitchen from the living room, but we saw nothing. I was severely hived up, covered in huge hot red splotches from anxiety. I was also shaking in fear furiously with a clenched jaw. My eyes shot over to her walking back in after going around the trailer and up and down the road a bit. The laughter kept happening, but it decreased in intervals until it stopped completely. We still held on to each other on the couch, avoiding the kitchen until it stopped and we both drifted off. I need to mention here the dog was on the couch wide-eyed, also avoiding looking into the kitchen. Poor thing was shaking like I was too. She looked petrified. My dad was told about this the same day in the afternoon. He went through the entire living room, bar, and kitchen, looking for a toy of some kind which could make that noise, but he found nothing. And I knew I didn't have any noise-making toys. I liked Barbies and cheap stuffed animals, all of which were at the opposite end of the trailer, in my room, with a closed door. There was no proper explanation, and that girl never came back over to babysit. Around the same age, I had a friend who was about nine months older than me, but in the same grade. 
I was being babysat by my childhood friend's mom. She was also abusive, and had the hots for my dad who was extremely abusive. She was babysitting me as a request from my dad, who always found a way to isolate me from my mom. Let's call my friend C for this story. C and I were in the living room on separate sides of a huge sectional, so big that I was against the wall on one side of the living room, and she was on the other. She was near the hallway leading to the other two rooms and bathrooms, where her mom and older brother both slept and snored. C and I both began to hear the same distorted, loud, horrific laughing at different intervals, which was coming from behind the tiny island separating the kitchen from the open living room. There was only a few feet approximately behind the tiny island we could not see. Our eyes were as wide as saucers. We were both holding on to big, cheap, soft, stuffed animals for comfort, and we'd both cocooned ourselves in our blankets with our heads exposed. We both stared at the kitchen where the island blocked our view. Then, our eyes shot from there to each other in absolute horror. I said to see, that's the sound I heard. We both continued to look at each other with huge eyes, whispering about what it could be, stating that we were both horrified. We then came to the only agreed action we could. Ignore it and keep our eyes closed. We did this until we fell asleep. I remember it happened for weeks. One night when it happened again, I managed to fall asleep. But I woke up later with my back arched like an upside down U. I was dizzy, facing the ceiling and jammed against the floor and wall. My knees and legs were bent hard and my arms were bent and strained and contorted. My hands were rigid as if I'd had a stroke. I was covered in vomit too. I had, and have always had, and still have no memory of anything that happened that night. I asked C's mom why I was on the floor after unbending my tense, strained body. She and her mom both said my eyes were open. I was not talking in words, instead I'd been screaming randomly many times, occasionally puking and screaming, babbling frantic wordless senselessness. Some moments I'd be saying something was wrong with me, that I needed help. They were both in disbelief that I didn't remember a thing. C was really upset because I'd got vomit on her stuffed elephant. She was scared to go near me for a few weeks. She couldn't describe what happened to me very well, but I saw the fear and confusion in her eyes from the experience. I remember the sound that haunted me was never experienced by me or my childhood friend together or separately again. In my older age, past high school, I still have no hereditary family history of mental illness in either side of my family. And I personally have no mental illnesses, only trauma relating to PTSD, depression, and anxiety. After studying a lot of psychology and mental illness, and other various mental and physical illnesses, I know that two separate people cannot simultaneously experience the same auditory and or visual hallucination together. So whatever this was, it couldn't have been a hallucination. I saw a werewolf in my yard. From Werewolf Lover I live in St. Louis, Missouri. I'm 21, going to be 22 in July, and I love reading and listening to werewolf stories. I believe in them. 
I never really thought I'd have my own encounter, but I did. It was last summer after me and my family got home from Universal Studios. It was starting to get dark by about 6pm. I unpacked my stuff, even the wand that I got for a birthday present. It wasn't the typical Harry Potter wand you get, just a typical one that kids play with. Knowing my dad, he's a bit strict spending money on stuff like that. But I figured after doing some unpacking that I would take a walk around my subdivision. There are a lot of houses with trees surrounding the subdivision I live in. Nothing much happens, no wolves, just a couple of deer passing by or squirrels jumping on the trees or birds chirping. Well, that night was different. I was walking toward the park, which wasn't too far from the house, when I heard some branches cracking. My blood began to rush through my veins. I was hoping it was my imagination. I walked down the hill to the park. That's when I heard it again. I was thinking maybe it was just one of my neighbors trying to prank me or just deer running and being cautious. As soon as I reached the bottom of that hill, what I saw next horrified me. I saw two glowing yellow eyes staring right at me. I froze right there. Then something stepped into the pathway at the bottom of the hill and it kept its gaze on me. Whatever it was, it was six feet tall and it had the head of a wolf. It was standing on two legs like a person would, but it was covered in black and dirty fur. I was petrified. My heart pounded as this werewolf-looking thing began to walk towards me, taking long strides. In only two massive steps, it was right in front of me. I was shaking, praying that it wouldn't do anything to me. It felt as if it was staring into my soul. It placed a human-like hand on my head, like it knew I was scared. I let out a whimper then, as it began to rub my hair like it was trying to comfort me. I looked right into its eyes for a moment, before looking at its teeth that hung a bit out of its mouth. But it didn't give off any sort of evil vibe. Then suddenly, my dad called my name. Quickly, it sniffed me, got back on all fours, and ran off into the woods. That was the closest encounter I had with something so creepy and unexplained. Immediately, I ran back up the hill, hoping that I could see it again. Well, about a week back, as of writing this, I took my normal walk when I sensed that something was following me. When I looked behind me, I saw a familiar set of yellow eyes. I think it was the same creature, watching me but this time it didn't seem as friendly as the first encounter. It snarled and gave me a low growl. I was terrified and ran back to the house as fast as my legs would carry me, hearing thudding footsteps behind me along with a howl. The moment I made it back to my house, I felt a sting on my arm. I looked back only to see that thing had caught up to me and grabbed me. I froze. The creature sniffed me, then let go of me for some reason. I quickly opened and shut the door. Then I had an idea. I got some leftover meat from dinner the previous night. In as quick a motion as I could, I opened the door, tossed the meat out, and shut and locked it. Just after, there was a growl. Then the sound of chewing and tearing meat, followed by silence. I guess it ran off feeling satisfied with its meal. At this point, I hope I never encounter it again.
I think that first encounter gave me a false sense of security. The second encounter showed me that it might have eaten me if it wanted to, so I'm not terribly sure I'd make it out of a third encounter alive. Spooky Hanukkah Experience From Anna R. This is about two really creepy things that happened to me, my sister, and our mom. It was the fifth night of Hanukkah, I believe. I can't remember for sure. My mother was startled awake by something that night. She obviously thought that it was my 11-year-old sister, but when she went into the living room, where she'd heard the sound that woke her up, instead of seeing my sister, she saw our little lovely Hanukkah bear just singing about. Now, mind you, you need to trigger this bear by pushing the left hand to make it sing. So, of course, my mom thought it was me or my sister that did it. She peered into my sister's room, still asleep. The same when she checked on me. Then she ran into the living room, picked up the bear, and threw it face down on her bed. It's important to know that we have a security camera in our kitchen. She turned it on and checked the previous footage. There appeared to be some sort of cloud above where the bear had been standing. I thought she was silly when she told me what she did next. She went back into the living room and started moving her hand trying to make that cloud move. However, it didn't move. Eventually, when she still couldn't make it move, she went back to her room, and even though she was scared, she reluctantly fell back to sleep while keeping the camera on night mode. Now we'll get to my experience with the thing. Early that morning, I woke up before everyone else. I got a cup of iced coffee and sat down in my recliner. Maybe 15 seconds later, I thought I was going crazy. Keep in mind, I didn't know what happened to my mom until later. I thought I heard footsteps out on our screened-in front porch. I was too terrified to look out the window by my chair, so I just sat there with my incredible imagination. When my sister and mom woke up, my mom told us both that she had something to show us. Hey, Anna, Zoe, I have some strange thing to show you. When I saw it for myself, I knew I wasn't crazy. I told her and my sister about the creepy footsteps on the porch. So after the entire family, including the 11-year-old, were scared, we decided to go to my mom's Catholic church and ask for holy water. Zoe told us to buy white and blue smudge sticks to do a proper cleansing of the house. She suggested going to her favorite place, the cauldron and the cupboard. When the three of us came back into the haunted house, we began performing a cleansing of each room, including the porch. That night, my mom decided to keep our security camera on night mode to see if the entity was gone. To our relief, the ghost or whatever it was, was gone. Mom continued putting our camera on night mode every night to see if anything weird appeared again. One morning, about a week later, Zoe and I came out of our rooms and our mom looked afraid again. We asked what was wrong. At this point, my sister was worried about our mom very much. Mom replied, My daughters, I need to show you something else. With that, Zoe and myself were freaked out, and slowly we asked, What? She pulled out her phone, and what was on there was too crazy to be possible. The camera showed a shadow slowly moving across the curtain between our living room and hallway. It was unmistakable. 
Nowadays, our family performs a cleansing once a week. Never do we forget. It's been months now, and we haven't caught anything out of the ordinary on our camera again. My sister and I would like to know if y'all think it would be a good idea to use a Ouija board to figure out what it is. So, what do you think? Childhood Encounter with a Woodland Creature From Dragon Crystal This happened years ago, when my youngest brother Vivi and I were little kids. Our dad used to wake us up early to go fishing with him and our uncles during the summer. This encounter made us not want to go fishing anymore. It was very early in the morning, probably six or seven. That time of year, the summer sun was already above the horizon in Minnesota. We got out of our dad's car and grabbed a few things before following him down the trail through the woods. The trail led to our usual fishing spot. While we were walking down the trail, Vivi suddenly stopped and said, I've got to use the bathroom. Our dad told him to do his business in the bushes. This wasn't surprising, as we were almost two hours out, and Vivi had been holding it in for a while. I volunteered to wait for Vivi to finish his business, and our dad told us to just continue down the trail, and we'd reach the side of the river where we'd be fishing at. So I waited. Soon Vivi was done with his business. Suddenly, we heard a loud rustling in the bushes near Vivi. I'm glad he was done by then, but he was still readjusting his pants. The rustling continued, and by then we were freaked out. Vivi was trying to get back to me as quickly as his little legs could go. Just as he escaped those bushes, something small that was still hidden among the bushes took off running too. The bushes rustled loudly as it went. We screamed and took off running down the trail as quickly as we could, but since we believed in the supernatural, our family consisted of shamans throughout the ages. I'm afraid of offending whatever was running away from us, so I yelled out a quick, sorry, as we sprinted away. Our dad heard us screaming and met us at the end of the trail. We told him what we heard, and he goes back to see if he can find whatever scared us. We trailed after him. He didn't find anything, and just told him to stay near him. The rest of the morning was pretty uneventful, and we did catch a few fish before heading back home, and as we were walking back up the trail, Vivi and I would occasionally hear a rustling in the bushes, but we just stayed close to our dad and uncle, so we weren't scared and got home without anything else happening. The Girl in the Closet From Cynthia.Smile I was probably around 10 years old, so it's been close to 20 years since this happened. Sometimes I forget it was real, that it really happened, but I always remember what happened no matter how many years it's been. I lived with my parents and my little brother in California, but my mom's parents and her siblings lived in Texas. We used to take turns making trips to see each other, so one year my family and I would travel to Texas to visit them and the next year they would come to California to visit us. This was that year, the year they'd visit us, specifically my grandparents, my two uncles, and my aunt. My aunt, Ella, was actually my age, because my mother and grandmother had gotten pregnant at the same time. My mom's younger brother, Jay, was around 20, and her older brother, Louis, was in his late 30s at the time. They would be visiting for about two months, 
Because of this, my mom decided to rent them an apartment. She managed to find a cheap one-bedroom apartment she could rent month to month that we all thought would be perfect for their stay. They moved in and we came over every day to visit with them. Sometimes I would even spend the night. Everything was going great. My aunt and I would run around outside the apartment, and inside the apartment we'd play hide-and-seek. Our favorite place to hide being the closet inside the bedroom. It was a small walk-in closet with a pull-chain light that hung down in the middle. One day my uncle Lewis was inside the bathroom alone and was sitting on the floor working on a radio that had broken. He noticed from the corner of his eye a pair of pale legs walking towards the closet. He looked up just enough to see what appeared to be a girl in olive green shorts walking into the closet and closing the door. He assumed it was my aunt and I, since we would hide in there from each other quite a bit. But as some time went by, he wondered what we must be doing in there for so long. So he got up and opened the closet. But there was no one in there. He walked out into the living room and saw me and my aunt playing on the living room floor. We looked at him, seeing the color drain from his face. He went to the front door and looked through the peephole, nervously. He then looked back at us. My mother, grandmother, and my other uncle, Jay, were sitting in the living room looking at my uncle, Louis, confused and concerned. Louis hesitated, then said, You won't believe what I just saw. My uncle, Jay, made a joke and asked, What, a rat? Louis said back, No, a ghost. The rest of us didn't know what to think as he explained to us what he had seen. My mom and grandma told him Ella and I had been in the living room the entire time. It was early that morning, and we had just got to the apartment, so Ella and I had not played hide-and-seek yet that day. There was no explanation for what he saw. The next day, my mom, Uncle Louis, and I were in the parking lot getting groceries from the car, when my mom and uncle noticed the manager of the apartments outside. My uncle right away went to talk to him, and asked immediately if he knew the apartment was haunted, and what happened there. The manager seemed hesitant at first, but seeing how serious my uncle was, he began telling him the story. Before my family moved into that apartment, there was an older woman who lived there for years. Neighbors would constantly complain that she was loud and rude, and just overall very strange. When she moved out, they went into the apartment to clean it, and found a shrine of some sort in the closet. I don't remember the details about everything they found in there, but they said there was a pig's head in the center of the shrine. I don't remember if the head was real or not, but they said it was obvious the woman had practiced black magic or voodoo of some kind. After that, neighbors said they still heard and saw things through the windows of the apartment, even though it was vacant. My mom didn't believe the story, and my uncle seemed unsure at first, but the manager seemed very serious and appeared to be telling the truth. Still, we didn't know what to think. We went back to the apartment, and my grandmother lit white candles in all corners of the apartment. I watched the candlelight dance across the walls while my grandmother started saying some prayers in Spanish. The whole time I sat there thinking about when Ella and I would hide in the closet with the light off and the door shut. I wondered, how many times while we were hiding in there, was that little girl in the olive shorts hiding in there too, staring at us, or maybe standing right in front of us? Maybe that day when my uncle saw her walk into the closet, 
she was waiting for me or my aunt to come find her. Civilians on the Battlefield From Indigo This story happened in 2019, during the end of my enlistment in the U.S. Army. My best friend and I were voluntold for a detail that would require several weeks of our time. Details were odd jobs the Army needed done, and we were used to them. They would usually be something like setting up for an event, counting or loading ammunition, participating in another unit's ceremonies to make their ranks look more impressive, etc. Our operation was dubbed Civilians on the Battlefield, and was a role-playing job for another unit's field problem. A field problem is a training mission for a unit. It's conducted usually close to a base out on government land. Soldiers prepare their gear, vehicles, and themselves as if they were going out on a real wartime operation. Then we're given a training mission, objectives, and rules of engagement from our command, and a certain time frame in which to complete it. For this story, I'll be using fake names. After a lot of planning and prep, Johnson and I were thrown into a random group of about 10 total soldiers from other units. There was at least one more group like ours, and I think there was supposed to be more, but we never saw anyone else. Our job for the foreseeable future was to occupy a training village and wait for the unit who was doing the field problem to move into our village. We were the quote-unquote civilians, the neutral locals caught in the conflict. The idea was to train soldiers and commanders to respect locals and try to avoid causing issues for the innocent bystanders during conflict. They would practice communicating with us and accomplishing their mission without disturbing us. We were instructed to create challenges for the unit once they arrived. We would walk up to guards, walk through security perimeters, ask for food, watch them through windows, and at one point we were told we needed to riot and create chaos for the soldiers to dispel. This was the best detail I'd ever been on. They're usually boring or hard work, but this one was a blast. The town we were given was one of the biggest training towns Fort Bliss had. It was called Zambrania. I don't quite remember the correct spelling, but it was in the southern New Mexico desert, about an hour north of Fort Bliss, where we were stationed. It consisted of about 25 to 30 buildings and a few main roads. Most of the buildings were made of cinder block, and the rest were just shipping connexes that had doors and windows cut into them. Many of the cinder block buildings were wired with electricity and had plug-ins and lights. In the middle of the town were two four-story office buildings. They sat on either side of the main street facing each other. They weren't actual houses or office buildings, they were just made to look like them. Some had countertops made of concrete, they had rooms with doors and windows, bedrooms had closets, but there wasn't furniture, except one nasty rotting couch in the police station as we called it. No flooring or paint, just concrete and moon dust. We moved into the church building first. It was larger and cleaner than many of the others, and it had pews for us to sit in. It had a staircase that wound upward to a bell tower and a small fake cemetery in the back. Someone had gone through all the trouble of finding those standing cemetery headstones, and these were made of actual stone and concrete, and placed them in the training town. After we dropped our bags and gear at the church, we spent the next few hours exploring the town. The unit would not be in the area for at least a few days, so we just got to live there until they came through. Zambrania was an odd sight, since the surrounding area was just desert. Just berms and sagebrush and the occasional scorpion or tarantula. 
We made our way through the houses, which were set up to mimic a regular civilian home. We opened all the doors, climbed all the stairs, and even found ourselves on the roofs of some of the buildings. The place was a little eerie, and several of the other soldiers were showing signs of being creeped out. There's just something weird about a fake town. Like, false life just sat in the middle of nowhere to exist in nothingness. The only inhabitants of the buildings were a few spiders and birds. We found tunnels under several of the buildings and streets, some leading to dead ends, others led to drains or other tunnels, and one tunnel system went from the basement of one of the four-story buildings to the other sister building across the street. Perfect. We got excited. We could use the tunnels to sneak up on the soldiers when they get here. We had the strangest combination of soldiers in our little group, and it became comical over the time we spent in Zambrania. I was an infantry medic, and Johnson, my best friend, was an infantryman. If you're not familiar, an infantryman is the crazy guy who runs towards a gunfight, brushes off an explosion or a bad crash like it's nothing, and would scare the crap out of a therapist if he wasn't too stubborn to go see one. I was one of the two medics in Zambrania. Johnson was the only infantryman, but he had one other grunt to keep him company. It was a field artilleryman, I think. The rest of the guys were mostly desk jockeys, supply, and cooks. I didn't know anyone there except for Johnson and I was the only female. One woman dropped in an empty desert village with nine or so guys for two and a half weeks. Johnson was all I needed though. He was extremely protective of me. I was his medic, and nobody messed with Doc. Johnson hated being in charge, but he had natural leadership tendencies and always knew what was going on. Recognizing that, the other soldiers just followed his lead without thinking much about it. He reluctantly took the leader role and watched out for all of us. We'd been in Zambrania for a few days already, and we'd seen no one except the sergeant who brought us food and water once a day. No showers, we had porta-potties, and the filthy structures we were living in. That was it. It was more like camping. We saw a few oryxes, a rabbit, a mouse, and a purple butterfly that made two of the city boys scream and run to the delight of the rest of us, who spent a good while laughing at them. I was married to an Apache at the time and I'd been told a lot of native legends, including the ones that they believed were 100% true, and now so did I. Johnson was three-quarters African-American, but the last quarter of him was Navajo. We were alone in a creepy fake town in the middle of nowhere, New Mexico, so I didn't let my thoughts dwell on it. But I did keep my eyes on the desert, and helped Johnson keep track of all the soldiers, making sure everyone was accounted for. Right at about dusk, the sergeant who dropped off our food had just left, and we were wrapping up our meal in the church. We had our big black garbage bags sitting in the entryway just near the front doors, and about ten feet from the bottom of the staircase. Johnson and our newest friend, Sanchez, got up at the same time to go throw their trash away. The double doors that separated the main part of the church from the entryway were wide open, and they had been the whole time we were all eating and chatting. Johnson and Sanchez both walked through the doors side by side, stopping suddenly just past the threshold. I was watching them. They froze and stared up at the staircase. Then, at once, they both turned around with eyes wide and jumped back into the main room, their garbage still in their hands. They looked at each other, visibly skittish. You saw that too? Sanchez frantically asked Johnson. Yep. 
Johnson headed back to me with his eyes still the size of saucers. What? I asked. Let me reiterate. These two guys are both grunts. Our grunts had a well-deserved reputation for being the toughest and most fearless of us soldiers. Frankly, they even scared some of the rest of us. There are very few things that phase these guys. So when I saw them freak out, I took it seriously. They both explained to me at once that they saw a figure walking up the stairs. It was white, but they couldn't make out a face, and it was slightly translucent, if I remember correctly. The stair railing was made of metal bars and braces, so as someone walked up the stairs, you could watch them from the bottom going all the way up. They said this figure was just stepping onto the first landing of the stairs, turning to go up the next set, but as it rounded the corner, it disappeared right in front of them. No one was on the stairs anymore, and they had just clearly seen someone. After explaining this to me, they grabbed their bags and gear and I did the same. I was going to be wherever Johnson was. I mentioned the building next door to him. I reminded him that it was clean and had electricity, and he agreed. He told the other guys where we were going, and a few of them packed up and followed us. Soldiers are pack animals, I guess. The other building was only about 20 yards from the church, so all of us were still close together. We stayed in the new building that night. Johnson and Sanchez flat out refused to go into the church until morning. I even went back in for Johnson to grab a snack that he forgot. When I got up to go, he looked at me. You don't believe me, do you? I believe you. I'm just not worried about it, and half of our guys are still in there anyway. I did believe him, but I was hoping I would see it for myself. I had my excuse to go back to the church and didn't see a thing out of the norm. We made it through the rest of the field problem without any more paranormal experiences. We got to actually riot and cause all kinds of problems for the training unit. We safely made it back to base. Johnson and I are still best friends and keep in touch with Sanchez and a few of the other guys from time to time. As terrible as my unit was, that was the best thing they ever volunteered me for. The Beast at the Window From Bill6928 This happened a very long time ago. I'm 54 years old right now. I was 28 when this happened. It began when I was driving home from the north part of my state, trying to get down south back to my family. A four to five hour drive really was taking it out of me, and I needed to catch up on some sleep. I pulled over onto the side of the road. I'd barely seen any cars and figured a few hours of sleep wouldn't do any harm. Soon, I found myself dozing off to the quietness in the truck. I woke up around 3 a.m. Something had been hitting something in the nearby forest. It sounded like someone beating a steel bat against a tree. It really put me on edge, because I'd never heard any animals do such a thing. I'd hunted many times and I'd seen many animals. I tried going back to sleep, eventually waking up again only around an hour later to find something had hit my car door. I'd felt the entire car shake, and I nearly had a heart attack. Looking around to see what was there, I noticed foggy breathing, the type of thing that happens when it's cold and you can see your breath in the form of fog. 
This fog was rising every few seconds above my passenger window. It seemed as if someone, or something, was on the other side. Me being paranoid, I tried to lower myself down further into the seat. My body was now flattened on the seat, but I could see something looking in. I didn't know if it could see me, but it was drooling, whatever it was. What I was looking at appeared to be the head of a wolf. Its muzzle covered my window in a smudge of saliva. It pressed itself against the window hard. This animal was panting, as if it had run miles just to get to my car, and it appeared to be shaking, as if it was violently angry. Definitely not the scared kind of shaking, more the kind of I-want-to-beat-you-to-death shaking. I guess it hadn't seen me yet, because after long, it left. When it did, I got up, watched it walk into the woods, and became dumbfounded when I saw it walking on only two legs. These said legs were not the legs of a wolf nor a man. They were the legs of an elk or deer. Had it not been for the moonlight, I wouldn't have been able to see it at all. After the creature was gone, I sped off back home, shaking constantly the entire way. Back at home, I ran inside, locked the doors, and grabbed my 45 handgun, which was all I had at the time for protection. It's a very basic gun but it would keep me safe. I hunkered down for the night, keeping my gun close to me. The next morning, I went down to my car and saw a huge dent in the side of it, like that thing had thrown a bowling ball at it with full force. My car door was totaled, and I couldn't open it with the handle on the passenger side. I don't know what that was, but I've learned to never go down that road again. With that, we're at the end of this week's episode of Unexplained Encounters. Don't worry, I'll be back soon with more scary stories for you to enjoy. If you don't like to wait, subscribe to Darkness Prevails on YouTube to catch new stories sooner. If you want to hear me read your story, send it to me at darkstories.org. Before I go, help us spread the word and reach new listeners. Just share this podcast with your friends and family. Follow us on Spotify and or review us on iTunes. Thank you. Until next time, everyone, remember, this world is a strange one, so stay safe out there and stay creepy.